the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Our texts today are from two different places in the Scripture. Genesis 1.28 and Psalm 127. I'm going to invite you to turn with me wherever you are to those sections of Scripture. And let's dig into what it is that God has to say to us today. And so first, I'm going to take a look with you at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. Just one verse. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then take a look with me at Psalm 127. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So about a decade ago now, Time magazine ran a cover story that was entitled The Child-Free Life, when having it all means not having children. The cover of the magazine had a photo of a young couple laying placidly on the beach, smiling up at the camera that was taking a photo of them, as if to say that they had no real cares in the world. There's not a child in sight. And Bishop Robert Barron notes that the article that the cover is telling us about is arguing not just that a child-free life is increasingly the case in America, but the article is making a kind of moral argument that such a life, one where parents or where, one where a, a husband and wife choose not to have children, where they make the choice not to have children, that it's making a kind of moral argument that that's okay, that it's a legitimate choice for couples to choose to not have children at all. 
the uh, phrase having it all, which was a part of the subtitle for the article, was initially used by feminists to say that a woman could have a work life, a fulfilling social life, and a family life having it all. It's now being used to say that in order to find personal fulfillment, one is going to live a life unencumbered by annoying, expensive, draining children. The article talks about the declining birth rate in America and how birth rates at the time of the writing of this article were the lowest that they had ever been in the history of the United States. Of note, that birth rate has declined about another 8% since the writing of this article. They interviewed women to discern why it was that the birth rate might be falling, and they found that more and more and more had no desire whatsoever to have any children. And more and more couples were beginning their married life with the intention never to have children. Many of the women interviewed for the article talked about how they wanted their career. They didn't want children in the way of of their career advancement. Some talked about the cost of child raising, how that continued to go up, and how they didn't think that they'd ever be able to afford children. Margaret Cho, a comedian who was interviewed for the piece, summed up why she didn't want to have children in the most straightforward way. She said, babies scare me more than anything. Now, I had a conversation with some friends of mine some years back that reflected the, the ethos or the sense of that particular Time magazine article. I was talking to these two friends of mine. One, uh, she had just gotten engaged. Another, he had been married for several years. He had two children, two daughters. And um, he and I congratulated our third friend on her recent engagement. Congratulations, we said to her, on, uh, on getting engaged. She said, thanks. I finally agreed to marry him if he agreed that we would never have children, that we would never have kids. My other friend replied to her and said, oh, I love that. I love that. I love that so much. Now, now listen, he said, I, I love my daughters, but if I were to go back and do it again, I would not have any children. And there's some evidence for the thriving of those who don't have kids. According to at least a few studies, people with no kids report not insubstantially higher happiness levels at least until about their mid-50s, where their happiness level dips and the happiness level of those with kids starts to rise. Now, I'm not sure how all of this strikes you. So much of any discussion around kids has to do with personal desire, and that can go several different ways. Sometimes somebody can say, I want kids because I want to be fulfilled, and I know kids will fulfill me. Or, Sometimes people will say, I don't want kids because I want to live my life and I know that kids will get in the way of me doing that. Or sometimes someone will say, I want kids but only the number that I feel that I can handle because that is what will be fulfilling to me. Or any number of different sorts of things. We're getting into the realm and the region of of individual personal choice. And it's dangerous to talk about anything that kind of gets at some of our central desires or, or hopes. Because a lot of times we feel, especially in this culture, that we are really entitled to those senses and feelings. That if we want something, we should have the right to it, right? I mean, it's written into our Constitution that that we're guaranteed life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Oh, my goodness. So if if we, like, start to in any way say, hey, maybe this pursuit of happiness thing needs to be be edited in, in slightly different ways, that can be tough for us, right, as Americans. Well, I have a right to my happiness. 
How dare you tell me the way that I should live? So I understand the sensitivity of all this. But in the face of a culture that is calling and inviting you to live a life of um, pleasure, of personal fulfillment, I want to invite you and call you today to have our desires shaped by God. I want to call, therefore, married couples to delight in having many children. And I want those who are unmarried to delight in married couples who have many children. And for couples that are married, that desire to have children and cannot, I want to invite you to the difficult and beautiful task of delighting in couples, married couples who have many children. And I want all of us to delight in the family of God, wherein every person, married or unmarried, with children or without, can embrace and be embraced by the fullness of the family of God. So let's take a look at the two texts that I've just read today, and let's take a look first at the command that's given to us in Genesis chapter 1, then let's, tell us about the, let's talk about the delight that is listed in Psalm 127. So let's start with the command, Genesis 128. In Genesis 128, God gives the first command that's recorded in Scripture. The Lord God has just created the whole world. He has created everything, seen and unseen. He's made the light and the darkness, the sky and the sea, land and sun and moon and stars, birds, fish, beasts and humanity. And the crowning jewel of his creation is mankind, the man and the woman. And he creates them in his image, both male and female, made in his image. And then Genesis 1.28 records the first command in scripture. He comes to the man and the woman that he has made and he says, have kids, have kids. Have kids and fill the earth and then steward God's creation. Part of the plan for men and women joined together in marriage is for them to have children. And the reason that we have ended this first section on our series in human sexuality in this sort of way is, is this reason. We've talked about marriage and then we talked about sex and now we're talking about one of the purposes of sex which is to have children. It's why God gave that to husbands and wives in marriage. Not just for fulfillment and enjoyment. That's one of the reasons. The other is for them to have children. It's the purpose for which he created it. And part of how we see that is in Genesis 1.28. He comes to them and he says, have children. Part of the creative plan of God for this world that he made lovingly and intricately and beautifully was for the man and the woman that he made to have children and for humanity to spread all across the globe. And husbands and wives in marriage have the holy privilege of joining with the purposes of God for humanity and saying, God, I'm going to be with you on this. I'll be fruitful and multiply. I'll join with your stated purpose and help fill the earth and help steward it right. So this is the command. And so much could be said about this. So much could be said about this. And in previous versions of the sermon, this first point took, I don't know, too many, too many periods of time. So I'm happy to dialogue and talk more about this with you or answer questions in our evening services if you want to write to me all about that. But let's just, right now, wrap it up by saying that this is the command that God gave to the first man and woman. This is a command that he gave to humanity to be fruitful and multiply. 
And therefore, we join with God's purposes when we determine that we're going to do that, to be fruitful and multiply. Then let's, let's turn and talk about the delight that exists in Psalm 127. Because Psalm 127 then talks about the delight of having children. It's an interesting psalm that at first seems to be two separate psalms. The first one about the vanity of existence apart from God. The second about the delight of children. But this psalm, 127, this brief psalm, five verses, it really holds together. It holds together for a few reasons. One is that there are really two senses of house. Now, house can refer to the building, the structure, the thing that is constructed in which a family can live. But there's also a second sense of house, more typically described with the use of the word household. That's a family. And so this psalm talks first about a house and secondly about a household. This psalm also has an interesting play on words. The Hebrew word bonim means builders and banim means sons. So the psalm begins by talking about bonim builders and ends by talking about banim sons. The psalm starts by reminding us of the utter futility of anything done without the blessing of the Lord God. Unless the Lord God is the one that's doing the work, your work is purposeless. It's fruitless. Unless the Lord is the one who is building the house, it doesn't make much sense for you to swing a hammer because your work is ultimately fruitless if it's not God doing it. Unless God watches over the city, it's pointless for a guard to stand watch over that city. It's a fruitless venture. But there is fruitful sleep that's given to the ones that the Lord loves. And then there's another type of fruitfulness that's spoken of here. The fruitfulness of having children. The psalm, Psalm 127, then goes on to describe many reasons that children are a blessing and many reasons for all of us to delight in children. The first is that they are a heritage from the Lord. This made sense in Old Testament context where the land that the Lord promised to the people of Israel would have been passed down from generation to generation, they would have, it would have been passed down as an inheritance so long as your family was in existence. And so part of the physical promises that the Lord had made to the people of Israel continued to be held by generation after generation after generation. It was a part of the receiving of God's promises. It has resonance in another way, too. It has resonance to us understanding that children really are a heritage. Children are a prized possession. Children are what remain when everything else is gone. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. I was speaking some years ago with a man who had eight children at the time. He now has 10. And he told me, Derek, I'm a poor man. I'm very poor. I can barely afford anything I have. My house is falling apart. I've not accomplished very much. Nobody knows who I am. Very few people would care or know about anything I've ever done or accomplished or would miss me if I was gone. But I have six sons, Derek, 
And despite never having a statue built for me, people generations from now will know my last name because of my children. My grandfather's funeral was yesterday. He accomplished much. Professor, author, speaker. His family is his great heritage. Not his professorship. Not the books that he authored. The text goes on and says that the fruit of the womb is a reward. And this is the way that the text directs us. Children are a reward. They are something that should be eagerly desired. They're the sort of thing that you should delight in when they come to you. Having a child born to you is like winning the lottery. It's like winning the Masters and taking home the first prize of more than $2 million. It's like winning America's Got Talent and taking home the million-dollar prize. It's a reward, a great prize, a gift. This is an important attitude for us to have in the context of a world that thinks of children all too often as a simple or mere inconvenience, as things that destroy happiness, take away our autonomy, make things more difficult, being terribly expensive, an expensive dream. What the Christian testifies to is that children are a gift, a reward, a prize. They're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. For a warrior... Nothing would be more important than being fully furnished with weapons, here, arrows. If he was to succeed in battle, he would need to have a quiver full of arrows so that he could defeat his enemies and himself stay safe. This reminds us that children are essential. They are important in a brute biological sense. They are necessary for the preservation of humanity. In an economic and social sense, they're necessary to protect you once you grow old and your health fails and your resources run out. But in a literary sense here, in the psalm, they're of incredible importance and should be prized like the warrior prizes his arrows. For there to be success in battle, for the warrior, he needs many arrows. For there to be success for humanity, there must be many children. The psalm goes on to say that the man is blessed who has a quiver full of arrows. It is, bless- it is a blessing to have many Children, again, the passage here is stressing the goodness of this sort of stuff, of having many, many children. And this is some really countercultural stuff. Again, in a context where we can believe that children are simply work or an annoyance, the psalm reminds us that they are a blessing, that they are necessary. The psalm ends by saying that the one who has many children will not be put to shame. So, hearing the command... And seeing the blessing, I'd like to put it to you individually. If you're a middle schooler or a high schooler or a college student, let me talk to you. It may be that someday, as you grow up into full adulthood, you get married. You need to determine that one of the central aspects of your married life is that you will have kids. This isn't saying that everyone needs to have children. Not everyone needs to be married. In fact, the scripture says that it's better to be single than to be married. But if you're hoping to be married, if you're planning to get married, you need to determine that you are going to get married for a purpose so that you might bear, raise kids to know and love and trust Jesus and be active members of the church. To young married couples who are waiting to have kids, until you're in the place where you feel that you're mature enough to have kids or have enough resources to have kids, let me encourage you to move up that date 
where you assume you're going to start. Let me encourage you even to consider taking the radical step of trying to have children now. Not at that moment where you feel you're responsible enough or you have sufficient resources. There are two reasons. Here's the first one. You're never responsible enough to have kids. You're never responsible enough to have kids. The responsibility often comes when you have them. There's an old saying that says that adults don't make kids. Kids make adults. The reason for that is that kids require you to become way more responsible. I commissioned a study in our household, and what it discovered is that after kids, Aubrey became three times more responsible, and I became three billion times more responsible. The reason for that is Aubrey already had this high level of responsibility, and I had this very low level, and so now, you know, she's still like here, I've you know, I'm going to try to catch up three billion times. That's a joke, okay? We, there was no study commission. But marriage and kids really did require responsibility. In terms of resources, there are wisdom reasons to pause. But at a certain point, you need to understand that it is better to be made very poor and have kids than to be wealthy and not have them. A dear friend of mine said that her great-grandfather was impoverished by having children He decided that he was going to make sure that he always paid for Christian day school education. And so as more children came and he found that he couldn't afford it, he mortgaged his house and sold his car and walked the long distance to work each day to support his family. And there's something beautiful and good about that. To married couples who are watching this and you have a firm number that you're planning on, can I encourage you to consider adding one or two to that number. Now, I understand the difficulty. Believe me, when Aubrey and I got married, we were planning on having six children. I don't know if that sounds like a lot or a little to you, but you know, we talked about it, and six was the number that seemed right to us. We were both really convinced that six was going to be the number, and then Elsie came along, and we reconvened and talked about it, and we thought, six seems right. Six is right. Six is good. And then Robert came along a little bit later. Robert didn't sleep nearly so well as Elsie, and so we reconvened. After our second was born, we said, two sounds right. Two seems like the right number. Two seems like everything that I can handle. Uh, Again, that's a little bit of a joke here, but I understand that children are extremely, extremely difficult, that there is a lot of hard work that goes into it. And, And this is oftentimes or always especially true for the mom, who feels as though she loses the majority or all of her autonomy. The fact that there are always children who are calling for her, demanding her body, first in being birthed and then in being nursed and then in care. This is an extraordinary difficulty. I know that there are different limits to what different families can expect to endure. And the Bible never tells us that we need to have this or that number of children. It invites us to delight in, um, in children, and it tells us of the goodness of fruitfulness, but it doesn't tell us that, that number that if we get to that, you know, we're fine. It, it doesn't tell us the number that we should be pressing onto, but, but it does, in fact, call us to fruitfulness. What this means, what this means is that regular blood family relationships are still important, but they are not as important as the familial relations that are ours in Christ Jesus. That is what is fundamentally true for us. You and I must be, as Christians, 
must be closer to a brother in Christ Jesus, a sister in Christ Jesus, than we are or should be to a, a brother who is or a sister who is our brother or sister by birth and by blood, but has left the church, doesn't trust in Jesus. If that brother or sister is not also a Christian, then that relationship that you have with them is secondary to the relationship that you have with your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. So what does this mean? Why am I saying this? I'm saying this to to say that there's something beautiful about being a part of the life of the church. I mean, you know that I love every time we have a baptism, there is the, there's the call that's offered to the congregation, right? Will you do, will you pray for this child? Will you, will you strive by the way that you live to welcome them into the life of the church? Will you try to encourage them through your example to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know what that is? Every time I ask that question of the congregation at a baptism of a child, it's this, it's this question. It's, will you be a spiritual parent to this child? There's something beautiful and amazing that belongs to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We become brothers and sisters. We become spiritual parents throughout my life because of the encouragement of the Christian church and because of certain individuals who have desired to see me be a Christian and be a Christian minister, I have had spiritual moms and dads. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook, Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.